But, but um, at any rate, what I learned from these people was the importance of subtext. Because in every single frame of a good film, you have levels of subtext. You have music that, go, that might lead to a mood. You have the clothing. You have things in the background. You have all of these things that are symbols that people don't realize go into a good film. And I was told to watch a good film seven times to begin to see all the subtext that go into it. Well, so when I'm reading the parables, there's a lot of subtext here. And so, just like a good film, you can't read it just once. You have to read it over and over and over, and you sit with it so that you can uh, let the Lord show you what he means with it. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Jesus' parables or his stories. Now, Jesus likes to use metaphors. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the door, you're the sheep. All of these are figures of speech that Jesus likes to use. And today he's going to use allegory and tell these stories. And he wants his listeners to go to the spiritual depths behind the stories. Now, in order to understand what these stories mean and why he told them. Now, I could go on and spend the whole time even on one parable, but I'm not going to do that today. What I'm going to do today is try to show you why Jesus told these stories. Because there's so many of them. There's seven in this chapter. I just don't have time. So why did Jesus tell these stories? Well, in order to know why, we have to do a little review of what happened in chapter 12. Do you remember after Jesus was baptized, went out into the wilderness, was tempted, then he started his ministry. He started telling the people the kingdom of God is here, just like John the baptizer had told them. Get ready, the kingdom is near. We're coming to the kingdom. Well, in chapter 12, this happened. The religious leaders said, as Christina taught last week, that Jesus was in league with the devil. And Jesus said to them, when a defiling evil spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis. Some unsuspecting soul, it can be devil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my own haunt. On return, it finds the person spotlessly clean, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds out seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all move in, whooping it up worse than if he'd never gotten cleaned up in the first place. That's what this generation is like. Would you have liked to have been hearing these words from Jesus? He's telling these religious leaders that say he's from the devil. He's saying, no, 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 you're from the devil. And you are like this little story I'm telling here. You may think you've cleaned out the junk from your lives and gotten ready for God, but you weren't hospitable to my kingdom. This is so sad. They weren't hospitable. That's how important hospitality is, to welcome Jesus' kingdom. His message, and now all the devils, he says, are moving back in. The kingdom story now faces open opposition by religious leaders. 
The general public are amazed at Jesus' power, but fail to recognize him as king. So he stops saying the kingdom is here and starts telling these stories. And the stories are about a mystery that was tucked into so many passages in the Old Testament. And the people from the Old Testament, the prophets, they, what? They didn't know what this mystery was. And Jesus is going to tell you now what the mystery is. Because the mystery is his church. The mystery is a flock of believers, you and me, who have trusted him and waited for him for over 2,000 years. That's the mystery. So I thought, last week, Christina gave us a lot of background on what the Sabbath meant to the Jews and why it meant so much that they thought Jesus was breaking the Sabbath. But so this week, I'm going to tell you, what is the mind that rejected Jesus then in the Jewish thought and also today? So I found this interesting website, and it's called Jews for Judaism. Why don't Jews see Jesus in scripture. And the lead article is by Rabbi Michael Skobach, the author of How to Answer a Christian Missionary and Scripture Twisting, How Missionaries Distort the Jewish Bible. And now I'm reading from that website. Rabbi Skobach has had extensive experience working with and helping numerous families and in counseling hundreds of Jews who have embraced Christianity and other faiths. He is personally responsible for rescuing countless Jewish souls and helping to bring them back from the clutches of missionaries to the Jewish fold and reuniting them with their families. He says that many Christians have a difficult time understanding how it is possible for Jewish people to study their Bible and fail to see it pointing to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Is it possible, he says, as the Greek Testament claims that Satan has blinded the Jews who have a veil covering their eyes? Or is it possible, he says, that Christians have seen a mirage? He says Jews and Christians agree on the Messiah, and he quotes these passages that, of course, we love. The Isaiah 11 passages, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and then it goes on to talk about this shoot. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and by righteousness he will, uh, he will hear the poor of the earth. Righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness his sash around his waist, and the wolf will die lie down with the lion, and the child will lead him. That whole wonderful passage, which we believe points to the Messiah, and the Jews believe point to the Messiah. And then Rab Rabbi goes on to say, these passages describe a wise and righteous descendant of David who will rule Israel as king when the world has been transformed into a utopia of universal peace and knowledge of God. It is important to understand that the focus of scripture, this scripture, on this special anointed one who we refer to as the Messiah, but to describe what the world will look like when Jesus is here. Then uh, he says, it's, it's not 
the Messiah, but the world that this passage describes. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that John the baptizer was said by Jesus to be Elijah, because the Jewish people believed that Elijah the prophet must return before the coming of Messiah. And he says, John the baptizer was popular, and some thought he might be the Messiah, but he denied it. And he says he even denied that he was Elijah, but Jesus said he was Elijah. And then the rabbi says, there is no evidence that John the baptizer fulfilled this prophecy in Malachi, which says he would prepare the way for the Lord. All right, then he says that Jesus coming, the fact that Christians expect him to come back, is an admission that he failed. The Christian doctrine of Jesus' second coming is an admission that he failed. It is important to realize that the notion of a second coming can be used to rationalize the failure of any messianic candidate. Then he says, the Bible distorts texts to shoehorn Jesus in. One of these arguments, he says, is that the miracles that Jesus did attest to the fact that he must have been the Messiah. We will not discuss the historical credibility of the gospel accounts. Suffice it to say, there are extremely strong grounds for doubting the veracity of these stories. Even Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate Moses' miracles. Deuteronomy 13 tells us the false prophets will have the ability to perform supernatural miracles in order to test our fidelity to God. Christians assume from the outset that Jesus was the Messiah, and then they try to find passages in the Bible that sound like Jesus. Then he says, submitting all Christian proof texts to this kind of scrutiny leads to similar results. Inevitably, they are all built on circular reasoning that quotes these verses out of context in order to find alleged prophecies about Jesus. Numerous Christian scholars have acknowledged this process. One of these authorities is Walter Riggins, who honestly confesses. Now, Walter Riggins is a Jewish rabbi who is also a believer. And he says, let me repeat this point. There is no self-evident blueprint in the Hebrew Bible which can be said to unambiguously point to Jesus. Only after one has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and more specifically, the kind of Messiah that he is, does it all begin to make sense and hang together? Yes, that's it. So this is the type of thinking that Jesus was experiencing from those religious leaders. And this is why he told them that they were of the devil, like I just said, and then it says, if you look at your, open your Bibles and check the first sentence of chapter 13, it says, about that time Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. I just love this verse. I just sat with it myself. Because when I get so upset with what's going on around me, I like to go over to Golden Gardens and just sit on the beach with Jesus. So Jesus goes and he leaves the house and he sat on the beach. But in no time, a crowd came and forced him into a boat. And I'm thinking, oh, this crowd, they see this, hey, Jesus is at the beach. Everybody go to the beach. They're on their phones. It's this social media bunch. Because they couldn't get into the synagogue and they couldn't get into the house. 
but we get free tickets. There's Jesus. Woohoo! Okay? So they're all at the beach. And Jesus sits in a boat and he starts to teach them. But now he's going to tell them a story and he wants them to think about it. And he says, What do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the path or on the road, and the birds ate it. Some fell on the rocks or the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but it didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell on the thorns, and as it came up, it was strangled by the thorns. But some fell on good earth, and it produced a harvest beyond our his wildest dreams. Are you listening? Are you really listening? Can you hear Jesus saying that? It was an imperative command. Are you listening? He wants you to listen to this. So in my imagination, the Pharisees are going, what did he say? What? What's going on here? And, and some of the people are scratching their heads. What? What? Why is he telling that story? I thought maybe we'd see a miracle today. What? What's going on? But Jesus used those metaphors because sowing was familiar to them. They all had seen the people go by scattering the seeds. In Palestine, they do it from October to December, and then they harvest in April, May, or June. The rock is limestone there, and nothing grows in it. But the thorns grow deep and up to six feet high. So the disciples say, huh? What? What, why, what does that story mean, Jesus? They didn't get it. But in verse 11, Jesus says, You have been given, this is something God had given them, knowledge into God's kingdom, insight. You know how it works. Not everyone has this gift, this insight. It's been given to them. Whenever someone is ready, has a ready heart, then they're ready for this. And insights and understanding flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories to create readiness and nudge the people towards receptive insight. And then he says it is a mystery. So these seven parables are about the secrets that have been hidden from the beginning of writing of the Bible. They didn't understand it. But even today, as I just mentioned, these stories, they're interpreted in so many ways. Thick books have been written about these parables, and I online and in different resources, some of them are think that they're premillennial, some of them think they're postmillennial. I personally think they're panmillennial. However, it pans out. <laughs> the good news is that it's okay to live with mystery and with God in his mystery. Jesus wants to know who has a ready heart and who is really interested. Our judge, our ability to judge is not the issue here. We are just a scatter seed and let it fall where it will. Jesus says, but your eyes are blessed because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And Jesus is referring to a passage in Isaiah. 
And we taught Isaiah a few years ago, and I taught this chapter six, and I absolutely loved it. It starts in the year that King Uzziah died. And if you were with us then, you remember that Isaiah was a young man in King Uzziah's reign, and he loved King Uzziah, and he was a good king. But then he decided that he wanted to go into the Holy of Holies, and he was not allowed into that holy place, only the priests. And the priest tried to stop him, but he just went anyway. And when he was in there, he was struck with leprosy. And the leprosy killed him. And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I was lifted up and taken into heaven. King Uzziah wanted to go, and he wasn't let in. But Isaiah was taken there. And when he was there, he fell on his face saying, I'm a terrible, terrible sinner. And God lifted him up. And then he said, who will, God said, who will go for these people? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And then a voice said to him, tell them, you will listen carefully, yet you'll never understand. You will look closely and never comprehend. For the heart of this people has become dull. They are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they will not see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. This is God's constant invitation. Hear me. Listen to me. Understand me with your heart. And Jesus, now if I were writing this screenplay, would I have fun with time travel? Because here's Isaiah taken into heaven, hearing a voice that says it to Isaiah. He writes it down, and then Jesus, who was there in heaven, is here speaking this, and we have it here today. So that would be a great screenplay, don't you think? I don't know. But anyhow, so that's what this is, and Jesus is quoting this, and his disciples, they would have known that Isaiah story. All right, so then he starts to tell them, some seed fell on the path. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. So the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed that the farmer scattered on the road or on the path. Notice there is contact between the seed and the soul of that person. But it, it's taken away immediately. And that's why we pray, deliver us from evil so that we can receive the word of God. Then he said, some seed fell on the rocks. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. But there is no soil of character there. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. This is the person who's in it for the joy. That's all they care about. And when things get hard, they go away. That's this person. Okay. The mood doesn't last and neither do they. Then he says some it in the seed is in the thorns. The seed cast in the thorns is a person who hears the news, but the thorns of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything strangle what is heard and nothing comes of it. So I want you to picture this seed trying to grow up, but there's these thorns and you can't go this way, you can't go that way, the thorns I'm going back in the ground. Thank you very much. That's this type of person. Okay, so then some falls on good soil. The seed cast on a good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. This person listens 
to the way Jesus said he would bless the struggling believer in Matthew 5. All those blessings, all those virtues that come from Jesus with his power that are available when you stick with it, when you are good soil. Then he tells another story. God's kingdom is like a plant farmer who planted good seed. And the night, the hired men were asleep and the enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn when the first green shoots appeared and the grain um, to form the uh, thistles showed up too. And the farmhand said, Lord, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? And the Lord says, some enemy did this. And the farmhand says, should we weed out the thistles? And the Lord says, no, if you weed the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles, tie them in bundles, pour the fire, and tie the wheat that is good and put it in the barn. Now, when I was 23 years old, my father, whom I loved dearly, who had Parkinson's disease, took his life. As I was in bed one night and crying my eyes out, I said, Lord, please comfort me. And I said, just show me anything from the Bible. So I opened it up and I read this parable. I said, that doesn't do it, Lord. And I slammed it shut. And so, 30 years later, <laughs> this is my dad and me, 30 years later, I was at the University Presbyterian Church, and Earl Palmer taught this parable. And he said that in every life, you have wheat and thistles that grow together. But be of good cheer, because the Lord separates them out. And I thought, ah, oh, it took me 30 years to understand this parable. So if it takes me that long, have patience with yourself. Uh, but it was, he had more than just Parkinson's in his life. He had other things that always bothered me that people plagued my father. So it, it was just a joy to find out what this actually meant and referred to. And then Jesus says another uh, story. God's kingdom is like a mustard seed that a farmer plants. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it's grown, the greatest in the garden, and it becomes a tree where the wild birds come and nest in its branches. And then he says um, another story. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman takes and puts in the dough until it rises. And then he says, this, he spoke these things in parables to the crowds. He did not speak to them without a parable. This was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and announce what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. And then he said, it says he left the crowds and went into the house. And now he's going to tell more parables to his disciples. They ask him to explain the parables, and he does. I don't have time to go into that. Um, but, um, okay, I'm going to skip that one. And then Jesus says to them, are you starting to understand? And of course they say yes. But later we're going to see that no. <laughs> they didn't get it. But my favorite verse in this passage is from verse 52. Then you see how every student well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on everything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. 
We are all sowers. Who are like this variety store in this picture? And everything that you experience in your life is on a shelf in there. And it's ready to come out to bless others. And that's what God is saying. It's the virtue that he gives you when you struggle through with him that gives you strength and gives you the truth and the word of God to bring out to give to others. It's the here and not yet kingdom. And briefly, because Elise is here, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, a merchant searching for fine pearls, a net that caught fish, all of these wonderful things. But I want to close with this. Colossians 1.26, the Apostle Paul says, God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that Jesus was talking about that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to you, the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you. Say it again. Christ in you. What? The hope of glory. Let's say it together. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so that's the end of me for today. And I'm going to go turn this off. And then Elise, they, I'd like to introduce, how many of you know Elise? Yay, Elise. She's the principal of the Eastside Academy.